The vision to possess the nations rests on the vibrancy of the local church. When Jesus said, I will build my church, he hinted that the church is going to have an opposition in the devil. So if the church is going to have an opposition in the devil himself, then the church must be built to be strong. We must remember that the church has been anointed for a purpose. The church must be an advancing church. The church militant to the stand and when they get to where the gates is, the gates will open to it. This is where real practical ministry and congregational life exists. As Christians, we must be upright and whole. We must work towards meeting God's standard. Because for God, he will never lower his standard. Our members are our greatest resource and in their strength, we find strength. Rouse the warriors. Cause them to stop sleeping in the nations, in the churches. Some are sleeping. Others are in slumber. Cause them to stop sleeping. Welcome to Pentecost Hour, a religious broadcast of the Church of Pentecost that seeks to strengthen the local church through the word and prayer to be strong, cohesive, and impactful. Pentecost Hour, God's timely word for our dying world. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious unto you. The Lord turns his face towards you and give you peace. May the Lord fill your heart with an unquenchable desire for eternal things. I'll be discussing loyalty this morning. As we are talking about the local church, one very important ingredient that we need is to be loyal. We start from First Thessalonians chapter 2, 19 and 20. First Thessalonians 2, 19 and 20. For what is our hope, our joy, or the crown in which we will glory in the presence of our Lord Jesus when he comes? Now, every purposeful life, every good life, and every purposeful life is led with the end in view. The apostle Paul was not just working. At a point in time, he had to go back to Jerusalem to let the elders there or the leaders of the church vet his message. And he said, so that he may not run in vain. So he always had the end in view. So he was not racing or boxing like throwing his punches into the air. He had the target in view. Now he's saying that for what is our hope, our joy, or the crown in which we will glory in the presence of the Lord, that the Lord Jesus, when he comes, at the end of the day, what we will glory in. So he was mindful of that. As he was working, he was still thinking of the end, the resource. Then he says, is it not you pointing to the members of the church in Thessalonica? Indeed, you are our glory and our joy. 
You see, the people purchased by the blood of Christ who join our church, including all of us, are God's special possession. Because of the blood, we have become God's special possession. If they are God's special possession, then they should be our greatest treasure. People who come to church and join our fraternity, they come through the blood, they come through the door, the Lord Jesus Christ, and they are his treasured possession, special possession. And I'm saying that if they are his special possession, then they should be our greatest treasure. It is their gifts, their talents, their wisdom and knowledge. It is from their treasury that we advance the kingdom of God. It is in their strength we find strength. Now that I've come to stand here to minister, if you were not there, who was I going to minister to? Chairs? Benches? It is in their strength that we find strength. It is this body of people in our fraternity we call the Church of Pentecost. This body of people who come to be saved are the people we call the Church of Pentecost. The Church of Pentecost, therefore, is and should be our greatest treasure. And we need to love her and hold her tight with both hands. Especially those of us who are ministers. Every one of us should be deeply respected. Every member of the church should be deeply respected and loved. Some may not be clergymen like us, but they play supportive leadership roles to our ministries and the ministry of the Church of Pentecost. Every one of us should be respected and deeply loved. First Chronicles 11, please. I'll take nine and ten. First Chronicles eleven, nine and ten. And David became more and more powerful because the Lord Almighty was with him. That is understandable. And he should have been okay. And David became more and more powerful because the Lord Almighty was with him. But look at the verse ten. The verse following. These were the chiefs of David's mighty warriors. They, together with all Israel, gave his kingship strong support to extend it over the whole land as the Lord had promised. So, the verse 9 is saying that David became powerful. Because the Lord was with him. But it didn't end there. Then the writer brings other people who also made him powerful. 
These were the chiefs of David's mighty men. He listed them later. But it is not so important. What is important is what has been said about them. They, together with how many of the Israelites? All. All. Gave his kingship strong support to extend it over the whole land as the Lord had promised. So if his dynasty stood and David became a great king, God was with him, but he didn't achieve that alone. Some people and all Israel gave him strong support. Great leaders do not succeed alone. Behind them have been a support team. David was a great king, not because he was a special man or a superman, no. The scriptures say God was with him and also there were people who supported him. In fact, the Bible says they gave his kingdom great support. They gave. And the giving was dependent on them. So what they gave came from them. They could have withheld it. But once they gave, then they supported his kingdom. People talk about leaders because the leader is the face of the institution. But behind any good leader is a team of leaders playing their supportive roles. I shall take all of us and your subordinates as supporting leaders in the Church of Pentecost. Leaders supporting the executive council to execute its mandate. In our quest to reposition the local church, one thing that is required of supporting leaders and of all of us and every member of the Church of Pentecost is love for the church. You can't save that which you do not love. We need to have strong love for the church. The church, the body called the Church of Pentecost. I mean to keep faith with the very church that has called you into ministry. We shall now turn to look at the pattern of establishing the local church in the New Testament. The pattern of establishing the local church in the New Testament. As chapter 14, verse 21. As 14, 21 through 23. They preached the gospel in that city and won a large number of disciples. They, the apostles, preached the gospel and they won a large number of disciples. Then they returned to Lystra, Inconium, Antioch, strengthening the disciples and encouraging them to remain true to the faith. We must go through many hardships to enter the kingdom of God, they said. Paul and Barnabas appointed elders for them in each church and with prayer and fasting committed them to the Lord in whom they had put their trust. So they want a lot of people, the Bible calls them disciples. Disciples of who? Disciples of Christ. People who have come to learn of Christ and to be like him. 
And then the Bible says that before the apostles moved on, they appointed elders to man these disciples. So in the New Testament, we establish the, the local church by appointing leaders to man the disciples. Titus 1, 5. The reason I left you in Crete was that you might put in order what was left unfinished and appoint elders in every town as I direct you. As 2017, from Miletus, Paul sent to Ephesus for the elders of the church. And so the elders are appointed as leaders over the local church. And we need to respect them. We need to close the gap between the clergy and the officership. Because every one of them play a role in making the Church of Pentecost great. And by extension, the name of Jesus be glorified. But when you come to Acts chapter 6, 1 Timothy 3, Titus 1, the whole chapter, you see that it is in the local church, not only elders lead the church, there is a group called the Dickens and the Dickenesses. Then when you come to Romans 12, Romans 12 reveals that there are other gifts and talents that other people come on board with to help manage the local church. Shall we turn to Romans 12, verse 6, please? Romans 12, 6 to 8. We have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. If your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance with faith. Now, when we came, some people have prophesied. At the local church, some people too exhibit this grace. Now, let's move on. If it is serving, then serve. How many of the pastors here, how many of the area heads got involved in the cleaning of this place this morning? Shall I see by hand any area head that got involved in the cleaning of this place this morning? How many executive members got involved in the cleaning of this place this morning? Me, I won't ask myself. I, I didn't even think about it. How many of the pastors here got involved, apart from the ministerial students, with the cleaning of this place this morning? How many of our retired ministers managed to come up and clean the place? So those of us who are preachers and those who clean and sweep in the presence of God, who is greater? Who is greater? If it is serving, then let them say, these are people in the local church, when we are taking offerings, they fold their arms. Because most of them are not such group, they don't have to give. But don't despise them. 
They are serving their Lord. They are helping the church of Pentecost to advance. Hmm. If it is teaching, then teach. If it is to encourage, then give encouragement. Now, sometimes we think that the people who are very good in church are those who can preach. See, for, for many of us, if we had not even been ministers, we would have been linguists in the chief's palace because that is who we, God has made us here, here Kasa. So the fact that somebody can preach well doesn't mean anything. What means and what counts is the new creation and godliness. So you may have some elders who may not be great teachers. Don't despise them. You will need them to accompany you to solve problems. Because they are people of wisdom. They come with great encouragement. You will need them. Everyone is supporting the church of Pentecost. Don't despise anyone. If it is giving, then give generously. If it is to lead, do it diligently. If it is to show mercy, do it cheerfully. All these gifts that our brothers come on board with and talents, because we don't have the gift of encouragement. Do we have? No. What about the gift, the spiritual gift of giving? What about these young men who are playing the instruments? Where is their place in scripture? But they all come on board. What about the VOP? They all support the ministry of the Church of Pentecost just to make it great. So we come with gifts, we come with talents, natural and spiritual, just to support the, the work of the Church of Pentecost. You don't necessarily have to be a pastor. And I'm always saying that we don't even have to bring all the good ones into ministry. We need to strategically leave some of them in the local church. So that when the pastors come, they will help them build the church. They will help them build the church. 1 Corinthians 12, verse 7, please. 1 Corinthians 12, 7. Now to each one the manifestation of the Spirit is given for their common good. For their common good. Whose common good? The common good of the Church of Pentecost. The common good of the body we call the Church of Pentecost. To each one of us, and it is each, every one of us is useful in the Church of God. Useful. Even the elder who sometimes disturbs you. You see, God Sometimes, because of who you are, who intentionally raise an elder who will be checking you. So you can make it to heaven. So you not, you not temper with the church's fans. Watch out for them and thank God for their lives. You watch out for them. Don't fight those people. See, sometimes when you want to touch the untouchable, you remember that, hey, this elder... You see, so God has planted the elder for you. Hmm. Don't, don't fight anybody in the system. Everyone is useful. All of us together, with our officers and members, are co-workers in the Lord's vineyard. All of us are supporting leaders have been given a trust 
which we need to effectively execute at all levels. One thing that is required of all of us and of all supporting leaders and of all members of a body is loyalty. That the supporting leader should be loyal to the trust and the task. Now, the trust and the task, what we have been trusted with and the task, you ought to be loyal to it. A loyal person will not withdraw from you. No. No matter the circumstances, no matter the situation you are in or he is in. When we say someone is loyal, we are saying that somebody is faithful. But loyalty is, goes further than faithfulness. We are saying that a loyal person will not withdraw from you, no matter the circumstances. No matter the situation he or she is in, or you are in. So they will not withdraw from you when you are sick. They are loyal to you. They will not withdraw from you when you become poor. They are loyal to you. The reason why Uriah died was simple. David's letter read like this. Place him at where the, the battle is fierce and withdraw from him. Now, it was the withdrawal of the people from him that killed him. Because as an army, they should have been fighting together, supporting one another. But he says that place him at where the battle is fiercest. The man is inexperienced to be in front there. But he's saying to the commanders, withdraw from him. So they withdrew from him. And Uriah was killed. Don't withdraw from us. Don't run away from us when the battle gets tough and jump onto the social media and, and tell the whole world, these people. Meanwhile, you are a pastor. Don't withdraw from us. Don't. My father used to be very rich. In those days, even his nephews In our tradition, or the Akan tradition, especially the Ashantis, those days the nephew is rated even higher than the son. The nephews used to call him chief. You know why they call him chief? Like Nigeria chief, when he was rich. But somehow during the revolution, my dad fell from grace to grass. Everything he had was taken away from him. Then with my own ears, this nephew that we used to stay with, he came back to the house. And then when he was inquiring of my dad where he was, he asked this other family member, Ujaf yeah. Now from chief straight to Ujaf. Now when he was rich, they called him chief. Now that he doesn't have money, this same person has changed the name to Wujaf. This is disloyalty. Wujaf. In the heart of the word loyal or loyalty is the word faithful. 
So let me jump to concentrate on loyalty. Loyalty means faithful to one's sovereign government or state. And in this instance, our state, our sovereign, our government is the Church of Pentecost. Faithful to one's oath and commitment or obligation to one's charge. We need to be faithful as ministers to our oath. Let me just remind you of some of the things we said. The day you were being ordained as a minister. So I will take myself for the minister. I'm going to be ordained. And I require you in the presence of God and of the Holy Spirit. And in the presence of this congregation to answer the following questions. Are your motives for entering into the ministry, so far as you know, in your own heart, zeal for the glory of God, love for the Lord Jesus Christ, obedience to the Holy Spirit, and a desire for the salvation of mankind? Now, so you cannot go like a month and not go running after the salvation of people. Then you responded, yes, they are. Let's move on. Do you reaffirm your belief in the fundamental doctrines of the Christian faith as contained in the tenets of the church, the church of Pentecost? So I don't expect you to, after saying yes to this, go and then rise against the church. Even our practices, I don't expect you. And do you approve of the worship of the church? You see young men who join the church, and everything we do, they are criticizing. Then why? Then go and join another church. Because we said, do you approve of the worship of the church? And the pastor said, yes, I do. We can improve on what we have. But the same person who has said, yes, I do, cannot turn around and be attacking everything we do. As if there's a church somewhere that is a golden church. Will you be diligent in prayer and in reading and studying of the Holy Scriptures? And you responded, yes, I will. Shall. Will you faithfully discharge the duties of your office, preaching the word of God and administering the sacraments? Will you preach only Christ and him crucified and risen? Will you be 
a shepherd to your flock, faithfully ministering to them, especially to the poor, the sick, and the weak? Will you be faithful to your calling in season and out of season, ministering not only to Christians, but also to others? Then he responded, I will do so, the Lord being my helper. Will you concentrate your whole time and strength to the service of the Lord in the church, the church of Pentecost? Your whole time, whole time. Sometimes, if it, because of the Monday rest, when you call a pastor, somehow on Monday he becomes angry. Meanwhile, you said the whole time. Here, we didn't put Monday inside you see, we are just making a concession for you just to rest. But don't get angry when you are called on Monday as if we are broken a taboo. Shall we go back to that, please? Strength to the service of the Lord will be at his disposal whenever he calls you. Willing to suffer hardship and if need be, even death for his sake. Even death for his sake. I will do so, the Lord being my helper. Let's move on. Will you be, be subject in the Lord to the duly constituted authority of this church, of the church of Pentecost? Duly constituted authority. People who have been effectively elected, will you? Be subject to them. But you see pastors, you see some people, they just go out and all they do is to castigate leaders. Meanwhile, you responded that I will do so. Even when we have made mistakes, because of loyalty, you cover our shamefulness. Famicier, <laughs> Mm -hmm.
Don't you know that we represent the church? And when you are destroying us, you are destroying the church. But anyone who will destroy the church of God, the Bible says the Lord will destroy him. I want us to complete it. Will you, in keeping with the high calling, be diligent to frame and fashion your life and the lifestyle of your household according to the teaching of Christ and make yourself and them as much as lies in your power? Oh, some examples for the flock of Christ. And you said, I will do so, the Lord being my helper. Now then, the officiating minister will conclude, having understood all this, then he will give you your charge. It is this trust and charge that all of us here ought to be loyal to. We need to be faithful to the trust and the task. I'll open up what I mean by loyalty by sharing two examples. And if my time is up, I will just stop uh, because I'll about me meet you somewhere and then I'll continue. I'll talk about two brothers. Joab Asahel and Abisha were from the same womb. Great fighters. David chose Joab Asahel and Abisha to be his commanders strategically. At least if somebody will kill him, not Joab Asahel and Abisha. Asahel died early in life, so not much is known or said about Asahel in scripture. But I'll talk about the other two in respect to loyalty. Let me start from Joab. See, Joab killed two Israel's army commanders. He killed Abner, he killed Amasa. In both occasions, the king didn't know anything about it. But he is the king's command, he is, he is the king's commander. What that means is that he is the one that should take the king's command and disseminate it to the truth. So he should not do things that the king is not unaware. Because whatever he says to the truth, or whatever he does, he must take it from the command of the king. But he killed two commanders of Israel that the king was not aware. But despite all that he did, there's one occasion that what he did, in my opinion, was just too bad. And one who is a loyal person ought not to do that. Second Samuel 18, I want it to be projected so that we will be able to interact with it. I'll read just the verse 5, and I will continue from 8. The king commanded Joab, Abisha, and Itaya, be gentle with the young man Absalom for my sake. And all the troops heard the king, giving orders concerning Absalom to, to each of the commanders. So, Three commanders, Joab, Abisha, and Itaya. Then the king said, be gentle with the young man Absalom for my sake. Somehow, the king has to go to battle against his son, this rebellious young man. But how can the king look at the son in the face and kill the son? 
And so he says that, let you go for battle. Go, go and face my son, but be gentle with him. And all the troops had it. Now let's jump to verse 8. The battle spread out over the whole countryside. And the forest swallowed up more than more men that day than the sword. Now Absalom happened to meet David's men. He was riding his mule. And as the mule went under the thick branches of a large oak, Absalom's hair got caught in the tree. The very hair that he was shaving every two years. His pride. For him, the Bible says that he was handsomely beautiful. From the crown of his hair to the soles of his feet, the Bible said there was no blemish. Great, beautiful young man. And he says that the hair got caught in the tick of the tree. Now, he was left hanging in midair while the moon he was riding kept on going. Do you see the picture? Now, let's move to the next verse. When one of the men saw what had happened, he told Joab, I just saw Absalom hanging in an oak tree. Next verse. Joab said to the man who had told him this, What? You saw him? Why didn't you strike him to the ground right there? Then I would have had to give you ten shekels of silver and a warrior's bed. Who is qualified to give warrior's beds? I thought it is, it is the king. Yeah. Why is he playing the king? Who gave him that authority? And he said, what? You should have struck him dead. Let's listen to this man. But the man replied, even if a thousand shekels were weighed out into my hands, I would not lay a hand on the king's son. In our hearing, the king commanded you and Abishai and Itaya, protect the young man Absalom for my sake. We all heard him say, the next verse, we all heard him say, and if I had put my life in jeopardy, and nothing is hidden from the king, this thing is true, nothing is hidden from the king, you would have kept your distance from me, and said that, uh, uh, yeah, I, I don't know anything. That's what, I don't know anything, no. Ghanaians will add, oh, they just, oh, God, you all can open up. Or train them where if you yeah. People are like that since Adam. We all want to run away from trouble. And if I had put my life, in, let's take verse 14. Job said, I'm not going to wait like this for you. So he took three javelins in his hands and plunged them into Absalom's heart while Absalom was still alive in the oak tree. He killed him while he was still alive. And ten of Joab's armor bearers surrounded Absalom, struck him and killed him. This is the king's son. Look at how they dealt with him. I thought King David brought Joab to help his kingship. But look at this man. 
In the hearing of the whole troops, the king said, Keep my son, please be gentle with him. And somehow, the hair has been cut by the trees. That is fine. The best thing to do is to release him. Release him and take him back to the king. Let the king deal with him. But he said, I will not wait for that. Are we not all aware sometimes when we come here and we set policies? Policies are ligaments that holds the church together. So from, like IMD would say, from Angola to, to Zimbabwe, you go around the world like that. It's we, all of us, what holds us together as ligaments, holding the body together is the policies. Now when you are an area head or a pastor, and you decide not to obey the policy, what you are effectively doing is that you are dismembering the church of Pentecost. You are scattering us. We all said this is what we are going to do. And we brought a circular letter. Why are you not obeying it? Are you loyal to the COP? Why? The COP is a body, not individuals. See, this man disturbed David so much. So when he was about to die, he made a list of people his son should deal with. The first on the list, Joab. This one. First on the list. He, he, he caused the king's heart to bleed. But I will take Abishai from the same womb, different hearts. One day, David said, I long for, for water from Bethlehem. And Joab said, I will lead the people to bring you water. But to be able to go to Bethlehem, you need to cross the Philistines' army. Because they had, they had come somewhere there. You need to break through to go and fetch the water and bring the water from Bethlehem. Abishai led the, the, the young men, and then they were able to break through. They brought the water. When they brought the water, the king took the water. Instead of drinking it, he says, how can I drink this? And then he poured it down on the ground. Abishai should have said, what? If you knew you would not drink. Sometimes it may be a Yankee Kevin Chen. And you look at your leader, your area head. Abishai could have done that. Because why? If you knew you would not drink, why did you cause us to risk our lives? But he kept quiet. Another time he said, oh, go with me to source camp. That was a danger. Abisha says, I will go. Somehow they found Saul sleeping. And Abisha said, oh, we thank God. This is what the Almighty said. This is the day that the Lord has made. The king was fast asleep. But instead of killing him, he decided to mention it to the king before. Then the king said, you saw him sleep? Let him die his own death. I, we shouldn't lift up a finger against the Lord's anointed. If I were Abisha, I would have said, but you are also anointed. But David knows that that man, his anointing is public. It's not the time that he will come to your father's house and anoint you. This one is anointed for the whole Israel. He has been adored. And you need to respect him. But Abisha, who keep his sword behind him and who walk faithfully behind David. If he doesn't want to kill him, I also would not kill him. There was a day that Shemia, 
was throwing stones and insulting the king when the king was running away from Absalom, his son. He was even calling him useless man. Useless. And then Abishai said, who is this dog? Who is insulting the king of Israel? King, let me go and take off his head. Then David said, don't. Leave him, perhaps. It is God who is saying that he insults David. Maybe God will look upon my misery and the insult of this man and have mercy upon me. Then look at the theology. But Abishai didn't argue against the king. Never argued against the king. But let me take the big one. Second Samuel 21. 15. If you can read together, but I've seen that you are busy writing, so don't worry, I'll read. Once again, there was a battle between the Philistines and Israel. David went down with his men to fight against the Philistines, and he became exhausted for bread. Now, by this time, he was old. And Ishbi Benod, one of the descendants of Rapha, whose bronze spearhead weighed 300 shekels and who was armed with a new sword, said he will kill the king because he saw the king tired. And then he spoke to himself, I will kill the king. If he did that, he was going to become a hero. Let's move on. Shall we all say, but? But. The next word, Abishai, son of Zeria, this is David's sister, came to David's rescue. He struck the Philistine down and killed him. How close was he to David? And what was he doing on the battlefront? Where was his eyes? How could he manage to see that the king was in danger? I will suggest that he was quite close. I will also Suggests that his eyes was always on the king. Close and his eyes was on him to protect him. Very loyal to the king. Now let's take the next verse, please. Then David's men swore to him, that is the king, David, saying, Never again will you go out with us to battle, so that what? The Lamb of Israel will not be extinguished. They didn't just see him as somebody. They saw him as the lamb of the whole Israel. And that if they killed him, the lamb of Israel will be extinguished. Once they anointed him, he saw him differently. And he said, please, you are the lamb of Israel. You are a lamb. You are glory, so that it will not be extinguished. Brothers and sisters in the Lord. As supporting leaders of the Church of Pentecost, your loyalty is to God and to the church that has made you a minister. Loyalty in this respect means commitment to the body. Commitment to the body. It means 
faithfulness. Loyalty means sacrifice to the church of Pentecost. Loyalty means love, love, loving the church. Loyalty means going the extra mile. When we introduce the ministerial welfare practices, and then we gave some direction as to what to do and what not to do. So far as our finances were concerned and how to manage the pastors. Somebody told me this. He said they were in a room and this pastor overheard this overseer talking about the difficulty in his district. And so the overseer was saying that he need to repair the motorbike that belongs to the district with his own money. So as he was saying it, this pastor woke up and said, what? You are going to repair motorbike with your own money? Me, I will never do this. This ministerial welfare, I will never do this. That is why we have Joab and we have Abisha from the same womb. Who are you? Loyalty means going the extra man. Loyalty means intercessory prayer. You see, people do not like intercessory prayer. And sometimes on Tuesdays, I think that if you're a pastor of the Church of Pentecost, if you're a sophomore and we're saying that this prayer is a global prayer for the advancement of the Church of Pentecost, I don't think you should exempt yourself. But if it were any other prayer where we said the sick should come, then you see all of them come up. When we began this intercessory prayer, the first day, almost 1,000 people joined. But when they saw that a thing was about interceding for the Church of Pentecost, we came to 300 on, on the Zoom. Because they are not interested. But intercessory prayer is the highest form of service that you can give to the church of Pentecost. The highest form of service. Loyalty here means effective leadership. You providing effective leadership at wherever you are. Loyalty means defense. Defense. You defend the church of Pentecost. You don't stand against her. No. We need to be careful so that because of the attitude of some members of the church, we do not destroy the body that has made us who we are, and so become disloyal to the body or the church. People will always disturb you, but look at the big picture and stay loyal to the body of the church. Set the church aside as sacrosanct, not to trespass upon it. I will end here. But loyalty is not just supporting. What you have in your hands, you should be able to make it better. I'll talk about that some other time. Loyalty is to make it better. So it is not enough to just be loyal to the Church of Pentecost. What we have committed to you as a church, that body, polish it. Polish it. Make it better. So we can hand it over gloriously 
to the next generation. May the Lord our God fill our spirit and our soul and our minds with this love for the body we call the Church of Pentecost and by extension the body of Christ. May this love of God that has already been poured in our hearts be extended from you to the Church of Pentecost. Amen. Say, yeah, Yahweh.